You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn J-Town. We are currently in a series on prayer, exploring the possibility of prayer in the life of the believer. Happy New Year. I have to talk about it. It's the new year, right? Uh, it is the third day of the new year, so let's uh, take a moment of silence for all the, all the reading plans that are already behind. <laughs> Do that. You'll do fine until you get uh, past Exodus. Um, it'll be good to start over again. Um, you know, uh, when I think about the new year, um, you know, the thought that comes to mind is good riddance, right? Tough year for everybody. We, we write a letter every year uh, in review for the House family, and the title of ours this year was, uh, Let's Not Do That Again. Um, and, and that's the consummate hope. Uh, of the new year, isn't it? When we come to the new year, the hope is that things are new, right? Uh, you know, it's a new year, it's a new me. You know, how am I going to approach this year? And my expectations are generally very high, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat better, I'm going to lose some weight. Last year, my plan was to lose 20 pounds, and I'm glad to say I've only got 25 to go. I'm doing awesome on that. I'm going to exercise more, I'm going to read more. Um, that's that, like that's the, the the vibe of of new, right? We assume that new is always going to be better, right? Um, but unfortunately, that's kind of what we thought at the end of 2019. For most of us, no one was anyone here dreading 2020 when it came around 365 days ago. We really weren't, right? Like like we were. Glad 2019 was behind us, and, and just, like, just like Eddie said this morning, right, we, we really didn't think about the challenges that might be coming with 2020. We just expected it um, to be better, and I'll be honest, um, it kind of showed a bit, um, and, and I don't mean to jump into the deep end of the pool right, right away, but, but 2020 provided some opportunities, some, lots of challenges in a lot of areas, and I don't know that people were prepared for it. And it showed in the way, even within the church, it showed in the way that we responded. We didn't, we didn't exactly respond with patience and, and humbleness and, and uh, outdoing one another in love as a church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. You people, of course, were great. Um, I'm talking about them out there, right? We didn't, we, we didn't really rise to the occasion like we could have, and that's probably my biggest disappointment of 2020, and I think, it's, I think it has to do with a posture towards life, right? There was an expectation that things would be better, and we just weren't ready for all the hits we were going to take, maybe one or two, but it just kept coming. And so when the world went sideways, we kind of went with it. And my hope is that we enter into 2021, that we would have a posture um, towards life and a posture towards prayer as we're in this, this series on prayer that would prepare us for a year so that we could rise to those occasions, whether those, whether those occasions are great celebratory occasions or whether they're more challenges that we don't expect. And so that's what we're going to be doing uh, today as we continue in this series. And we're going to do so again in, in the book of Philippians. So we're in chapter one, uh, just a quick prayer by Paul, verses nine through 11. So if you're able to stand for the reading of the word, please do. So this is Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So in the context here, Paul is reflecting on his ministry with the Philippians, right? Like he, he's, he's, um, he's rejoicing with them, thanking God for them, and then he, he is praying for them in, in the future. And so it's appropriate for us as we're looking at the new year to look at this prayer and kind of say, what does it look like? Uh, um, as we looked last week, we looked kind of reflection on the year. Today we're looking kind of about the future. What does 2020 have for us? And the essence of Paul's prayer is simply this, is that we would have a deeper relationship with Jesus. Like that is the essence of his prayer. He says, I pray that, that your love would grow. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't pray that your business would grow. He doesn't pray that your intellect would grow. He prays that your love would grow. And when he talks about um, uh, This idea of knowledge and discernment, it's connected to love. He wants us to grow and mature as people of love, right? We just got out of the Christmas season, so maybe that conjures an image for you of one of our favorite characters, the Grinch, right? You got the Grinch whose heart is too small, and and his heart, um, throughout the movie, it grows three sizes larger, right? There's this, maybe there was some who down in who, little Paul who was praying for the Grinch, and never mind. We'll move on. But he, he's praying that our, our, our hearts would grow, that our love would grow, and that we would, we would become aware of the goodness of God, and that we would actually, we, not that we would achieve blamelessness or that we would achieve righteousness, but that we would receive it. It's something that comes from Jesus. That's the essence of Paul's prayer, and it's a picture of communion with God, isn't it? It's this picture that, that as, as we connect with God, as our hearts are growing with God, that, that we would grow deeper and deeper in a relationship with Jesus. And that's a relationship for us that's cultivated by prayer. It's cultivated by time with God in prayer. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about what does it look like for us to posture ourselves in a way to grow a, a vibrant prayer life. And at the start of this, I want to acknowledge uh, a couple things, right? That there's a mixed emotions, there's at least mixed emotions for me at the invitation into a vibrant prayer life. It creates a tension in me because on one side, I really want that depth of relationship with Jesus, I really want to experience God in that way. I want, to, I want to have a profound, deep communion with God. But there's this other side of me that's afraid that I'm going to be disappointed. That I'm afraid that that, that experience isn't going to live up to my expectations. And, and probably because of me. <laughs> like, I'm not worried that God's going to fail as much as I'm worried that I'm going to somehow fail, that somehow God's not going to meet me in that moment of prayer. Perhaps it will be my fault. Perhaps I'm not going to do it right. I'm going to say the wrong thing, or I'm not going to pray for the right things, or maybe I'm just not worthy of God's time. And so I come to this idea of prayer knowing that, I, that, that, that I've got this tension going on in my heart. And, and to add to that, we live in a time when, when spending time in quiet with God is being assaulted from every angle, whether it's entertainment or information or news or you name it. We're just inundated 
just just being tempted to be entertained at all times. And normally when someone tells me, like, we live in really tough times, I kind of scoff, right? Like, like we've, got, we've got indoor plumbing and refrigerators. Like, this is not the hardest time to be alive. But when it comes to, when it comes to silence and solitude and peace, it may be. It may be one of the hardest times to be able to find a, a way to quiet our minds and quiet our hearts and so I, w- I want to acknowledge that that's real. And so these are the three assumptions I come, I, I, I come with um, when, when I bring this invitation to prayer. One is like me, you desire a vibrant prayer life. I believe you desire it because you're a Christian. Uh, and if you are a Christian, that, that you want a vibrant prayer life with Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, that you would desire that relationship with God. Two, that there's there is some, some fear of disappointment of diving into that type of life. And then three, that you're constantly in a battle for your time and attention. Um, John, Piper, uh, John Piper said it this way when it comes to distraction. He said, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not for a lack of time. Kind of stings, doesn't it? And then the irony that I read it on Twitter right? So that's what we come, we, we, we want, we want it, we're afraid that it's going to disappoint, and we're completely distracted, but, but I want to, uh, I want to suggest that there are some postures that you can have that can, um, that can help, uh, help foster a prayer life that is deep and intimate with God, and it's going to be three postures, a posture towards life itself, posture towards life, posture towards self, and a posture towards God. And my son is playing basketball for the first time. He's nine. Um, and we talk about defensive posture, right? What's a defensive posture? It's, it's being ready. This is not defensive posture. This is defensive posture, in case you're wondering. Butt down, hands up. And we have that posture because something's coming at you and you don't know what he's going to do. So you have to be ready for it. So I'm ready for it. Where, where's he going to go? What's he going to do? I have defensive, I'm, I'm, I have a posture that prepares me. And so I want us to have a posture of prayer for 2021. And so the first is posture towards life. And Eddie already touched on it this morning in kind of our, in our call to worship, but this idea of, of preparing for challenges, not, not expecting that everything is going to be amazing this year. Paul, in his, uh, in his, prayer, he's praying in the context that we talked about a little bit last week, that, that he's most likely writing this letter from prison. Um, he's praying in the context of struggle. Later in the same chapter, in verse 29, he says, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. So when he prays for blamelessness in your life and mine, when he prays for fruitfulness in your life and mine, he's praying it from a context of struggle and expectation that this life is not going to be easy. That we have to be fruitful in the midst of struggle. His posture is rooted in a theological uh, understanding that we live in a broken world, right? That life is going to be a struggle, that there's going to be suffering, and if I'm prepared to struggle, I'm a lot more inclined to pray. 
I'm a lot more inclined to want to get connected and be reassured by the creator of the universe when I know that things are going to be hard. But how do I respond when I don't think anything's coming? If we use our basketball analogy, that's the defender that's just standing around. What could possibly happen? <laughs> right? <laughs> the guy goes around and scores. That when we, when we look at life and we expect life to go the way that we want it to go, we're less inclined to actually spend time in prayer preparing ourselves for the challenges that come, and then we become ill-prepared. Our posture towards life should align with our theology that every area of life is affected by sin, that, 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 that sin is pervasive in our life. And so, yes, work is going to be a struggle. If you're in school, school is going to be a, a struggle. If you're married, marriage is going to be a struggle. If you're single, singleness is going to be a struggle. That's the expectation. It doesn't mean that, that you know, we're Debbie Downers, uh, you know, in every event that we go to, but it does mean that, that we get up every morning saying, I don't know what's coming, and I hope it's great, but it might not be. So, Lord, prepare me for this day. That allows us to remain dependent and connected to the King. Now, I think most of us after this year kind of get the idea that, that life might be a struggle. And this only gets us so far if we don't have a good posture towards ourself. And so when I talk about posture towards ourself, um, uh, the idea is like, like, how do I see myself engaging in this world? Um, John Stark, who's a pastor within Harbor Network, used to be Sojourn Network, changed his name. Uh, John Stark wrote a book. It's called The Possibility of Prayer. You might recognize that title. It's the name of the series. Um, and he uses an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees uh, in this book to illustrate this point. And because when I make a book recommendation, I expect one of you to read it, I'm going to use that same illustration in my sermon this morning. Um, he says, uh, he takes this out of Matthew 9, 10 through 13. He says, while he was reclining at, at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I would encourage all of you to go and learn what this means when Jesus said this. And typically when we look at this text, this text is, a, is, is given to us in the context of evangelism. Jesus is spending time with people in need, and therefore we ought to, as Christians, spend time time with people in need. Is that kind of the, what you're typically used to hearing in this, this text? It's true, and we should. Jesus is a great example. But there's not much in this interaction that invites us to identify with Jesus at this point. That, that's putting us in the place of Jesus spends time with sinners. We should spend time with sinners. But that's, that's not really the interaction that's happening here. See, when we do that, we're kind of putting ourselves, the posture that we're taking is that we're that the, the, uh, we're taking the posture of being like Jesus here. And that's kind of what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees are saying, saying, why is your teacher hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? We would never do that. 
right? They're equating themselves with Jesus and saying, why would anyone do that? We, we wouldn't want to be unclean or even be guilty by association. Who would, who would do that? What is with your teacher? And Jesus' response is not inviting them just to spend time with sinners, right? He's saying, if you want to spend time with me, you must be one of these. You must be one of these sinners or tax collectors if you want to spend time with me. He's inviting the Pharisees not to go out and sin. He's inviting them to recognize their condition before God. To recognize that they are already sinners. And if you want to spend time with Jesus, he came for the sick and the needy. You have to be a person who's sick and needy. Now, the good news is, is that everyone here and everyone listening at home, we are all sick and needy. The problem with the Pharisees is they just didn't recognize it, right? Their posture towards themselves where we are the righteous and we do good things and we don't need any help. And the only thing they get for that posture is they lose out on an opportunity to spend time with Jesus. They gain nothing. And when we do that, when we come, at, um, our, uh, we come at the world and our life with a posture of, I've got this figured out, we lose that opportunity as well. See, the more successful I am in life, whether that's, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, the, the, the more successful I am, the more I feel like I have to keep pro, you know, propping up that success to make sure people know I can handle this. I know what I'm doing. I, like, like at home, like I can solve the problems. I can fix the plumbing. Like there's this, there's this um, need to continually prop up that, that we're okay and that we can handle things, right? But the more I do that in my life, the more it seeps into my spiritual life. So, so when challenges come, instead of sinking to my knees before God and just saying, I am at my wit's end, I do not know what to do, I need your help, instead, I, I hunch over my laptop and I try to solve the problem and I try to figure out a new way and I start thinking through all the different ways I could solve the problem. I mean, I don't know about you, but I spend hours and hours some nights thinking through conversations that I either had or I'm going to have. Most of the time, it's the ones that I haven't had. And I, I project what someone else is going to say to me and how I'm going to respond to that. And I go through the, the, that conversation time and time again. Am I the only one that does this? And I can spend hours, sleepless nights. I'll get up sometimes and just have to go downstairs because my mind won't shut off. And all I probably need is five or ten minutes of just taking that burden and handing it to God. If I would just realize in those moments that, that I'm not adequate to solve the problem, I can't fix it. If I had a posture towards myself that said, I'm sick and needy, I could save myself all of that time. Proper posture towards self breaks that cycle. Um, Stark in his book puts it this way. He says, Here's the first step of prayer in a universe where God is put on flesh to be with us. It's this. We must put ourselves in the way of friendship to sick and needy sinners. 
We must put ourselves in the way of His friendship to sick and needy sinners. What a desperate act that is. Not to go running after Jesus, not to call Him up, but to just put yourself in the way. It's a posture that says, I need Jesus desperately. It's a posture of receiving rather than achieving. Remember Paul's prayer for us to be blameless and to be fruitful. He says that comes through Jesus. It's not something we achieve. It's something we receive. It's a posture towards self that says, I know who I am and I don't have enough. Lord, help me. So if we have a posture towards life that says, hey, it's going to be hard, it's going to be challenging, and a posture towards self that says, I am not up to the challenge, I need help. Both of those things will draw us towards prayer and relationship with God. But if we have a distorted view of God that can make such a a relationship extremely difficult. So what's our posture towards God? I mean, what makes us think that we can approach a holy and powerful God, creator of the universe? He spoke life into existence. He spoke everything into existence with the power of his word. What makes us think that we can have words with him? His presence alone invoked Isaiah. If you've read Isaiah, just being in the presence of God, when he realized he was the presence of God, he said, Woe to me, for I am lost. Stark puts it this way in his book. He said, something comes apart in Isaiah, in the presence of God. But at the same time, Isaiah and the seraphim, they don't flee the terrible presence. The danger is real, but so is the splendor. So terrifying and attractive, so immense and wonderful is God. I mean, what a beautiful picture that says, I do not have to diminish God in order to come into his presence. That God can still be holy and other and amazing, and yet He can still invite you and me into relationship with Him. Into an intimate relationship. And it's not an empty promise. It's not a let's go get coffee sometime. Sure, I'll give you a call. Right? It's not that kind of invitation. All the barriers that, that, that exist between us and God, God removes Himself, paving a way for us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He didn't just put the ball in our court and said, text me when you got time, right? Because we wouldn't. We can't ascend to God. We would always fall woefully short if, if it was up to us to ascend to Him. So He descended to us in Jesus. It shows he's not just willing to spend time with you. He desires it. He wants to. He he made it possible. He became man, fully God and fully man, making it possible to empathize with the challenges that you will face in 2021. He died in your place so that we could enter in his presence blameless. That we don't have to become undone in the presence of God because he has made us right with Him, through His Son, Jesus. 
As I think about this relationship and what does it look like, my posture towards God, what does that look like? And it reminded me of this from, from Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. This is the picture that I got. People, people were bringing little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. So we do have an immense, wonderful, powerful God who also scoops up a child in his arms, puts his hand on their head and blesses them. This is a picture of a child that just wants to be with Jesus. He doesn't have the anxieties and the pretenses and the fears that you and I have. The children just want to be with Jesus. They're running towards Jesus and being rebuked. They just want to be with Jesus. And when I see this picture, I think of my own children. I've got, I've got four kids at home ranging from 9 to 15. And I've noticed a pattern with my kids, right? When they're young and they get hurt, what happens? Where do they go? Anybody got kids? They come to mom or dad, whoever's closest, right? You know, you're sitting upstairs. Maybe you're trying to have a nice quiet time with, with the Lord. Maybe you're just eating Cheerios. I don't know what you're doing. And you hear the thump followed by the, right? And you know what's coming. Mom! Dad! You know what's coming. And what do they want? They, maybe they think you can heal them. That's probably not what, what they're really looking for. They come running, and what they want to do is they want to be reassured they want to be held. They want to be told that it's okay. And so they come running, and you scoop them up, and you say it's, it's going to be okay. And you have a moment. But as they grow, as they get older, as my kids have gotten older, they come running less, don't they? Those little bumps and scrapes, like those don't elicit the run anymore. I have to notice when something's wrong and I have to draw it out of my teenagers, see that something's wrong. And, and, and there are moments that we can have, but they're a little bit harder to pull out. And then as we get older and get closer to adulthood, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't, can't remember the last time I went to my dad and just asked for a hug. Right? We learn something. There's something that gets learned of we need to be stronger. Maybe we just know what we're going to hear and it's not gonna, we know it's not enough. Maybe we learn that we can't show weakness. I don't know what it is. <clears throat> but something in us, we, we learn to stop running to our mom or to our father. But you know what's also true? There's never going to come a time when my son or my daughter comes running to me that I wouldn't scoop them up. whether they're 15 or whether they're 30, if they needed a hug and be told it's okay, I will always embrace them. I will never turn my children away because they're my kids. 
And so something could happen and something probably will happen in their life as they get older where they're going to need someone who says, it's okay. And I want to be there to scoop them up. And this is the posture that we can have towards God when we come to Him in prayer. That's the invitation that God gives us when He says, you can come to Me with your burdens. You can come to Me with your desires. This is what it looks like to enter the kingdom of God is that you would run towards God with everything that you have, not worried about what others are going to think, what you're going to say, but to share, your, share yourself, to be yourself. None of your, your worries or cares or concerns are too petty for God because you're His child. His ear is inclined towards you. His heart is inclined towards you. He just wants to scoop you up. That's the posture we can have towards God. As we have a posture towards self that we need that care in a world that's broken and hurting. So the idea this morning is that if we're going to step into a vibrant prayer life, or maybe even just a, a prayer life, <laughs> that if we can align our hearts, if we can get that posture towards life and self and God, that that can foster, a, a cultivate a deeper prayer life. And what I want to end with this morning is just some practical ways that you can do that. Because I know sometimes um, it sounds good and it sounds inviting, but, but what do I do? What are the next steps that I can take? Some of you, maybe that's all you needed. For others, you may need some of these steps. And so I'm going to give you two, two broad steps. One step is to make space, and the second step is to grab a tool. So um, making space. So when you think of making space, thinking of three things, time, location, and we'll call it atmosphere. <laughs> um, if you want to grow in your prayer life, you have to set aside time. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. Even at first, it might just be just, just knowing that there is a time in which I am going to quiet my mind, shut out all of the, the technology in my life, and just spend some time in prayer. So um, if you're a morning person, this is a great way to start your day right? Before the day gets rolling and there's a lot and all the chaos starts happening and all the challenges come before your mind gets turning, set aside some time to pray in the morning. If you're an evening person, I'm an evening person. Any of those out there? Evening persons? If you're an evening person, set aside some time in the morning, <laughs> right? Um, what we find is that um, I'm an evening person as well, but my mind is much harder to shut off at 10 o'clock at night than it is in the morning when I wake up. Um, it's really hard to get all those distractions and not, and not get carried away by, by the challenges of the day. So whether you're a morning or an evening person, set aside some time. Just even put it in your calendar, whatever you got to do to just say, I'm going to give, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe you're a prayer warrior and it's two hours, whatever it is, Set aside that time and find a location so that you can build a little bit of a, a habit, a ritual, right? A place that you like to sit, a place that's comfortable. Um, this can be difficult right now with COVID because everybody's home. There's not a lot of space in the house. 
It may be in your car on the way to work. You pull over like at a park that you like. If you're, you might be single with roommates. You might have to be creative of finding a place that you can set aside some some time. Or maybe you're a student um, and you're trying to think, well, maybe is there a place in the basement? Is there a place in my room? Where can I set aside a space that I know this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray at this time in this spot. It will help you, believe me, in building a rhythm. And then from atmosphere, ambiance, call it what you will, um, make it pleasant, right? Like, like if, if you've got, if you're into coffee, I'm like one of the two people in the world that doesn't drink coffee. Um, like, get your coffee ready, set it up, and be ready to go and spend time in prayer. Um, if, if you need a little bit of music that works, that's fine. If that distracts you, then, then do what suits you. But, but provide yourself a space, time, location, atmosphere that you say, I'm just going to, every morning, this is how I'm going to start. You know, you can pray, you know, like I, I was always like, yeah, you know, I don't pray in the morning. I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of those people that prays continuously. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if any of you have used that excuse before. Um, you know what that usually means to me? That means you don't pray a lot. Um, totally throughout the course of your day, stop and pray as things hit. But if you want to prepare your heart for that day, it's a lot easier if we set aside time to start. And then the prayer that comes as you walk through your day uh, is, is built on the foundation of preparing yourself um, for what was to come. So make space. And the last thing is to grab a tool. Now, um, we've been providing you with tools throughout this series. So you've gotten a few in your hands already. There are lots of tools for prayer, and sometimes we just need something to kind of help us get moving, right? Um, and so a, a couple tools. I'm going to talk about the breath prayer, but first I'm going to give you two others. Um, one that I found really helpful in my prayer life is uh, it's really simple. It's, uh, it's carrying around some note cards. Um, so um, what you do with the note cards is, you know, you have, a, have note cards, and I, I write my kids' names on them. So like each card has one of my kids' names on it, and, and um, one has my wife's name on it. Um, and so when I want to pray, um, because I get distracted really easily, right? Like, so typically what happens is I pray is I, I say, uh, you know, I'm like, Father, good morning. What happened in that ball game last night? Uh, I can't remember. Did the Lions win? Um, I don't know if I, did I write, did I write that letter I was supposed to, oh, sorry, God, yes, we were praying. Um, Father, like that's, that's a little example of how my prayer life goes in my mind, right? The cards help me stay focused because I'm praying for my son. I'm looking at the card and I can write little notes. I'm praying for my daughter that I can write some notes on it. And it gives me something to focus on when I'm praying so that my mind doesn't go off uh, and wander. Do you guys know what happens when your mind goes off and water what you're supposed to do? Just start back over. Don't beat yourself up. Don't, don't talk yourself down. Oh, you're so dumb. Why do you do that? You know, just relax. It's okay. That's what our minds do. So just refocus. Cards are helpful to, to, to do that. I generally would suggest if you're doing this for the first time, five to 10 cards. You know, if you're one of those social butterflies that knows, you know, 90 people uh, in here, like don't put 90, 90 cards together. You won't use them. Uh, you'll end up just using those for notes uh, of other things. Um, five or 10 and then let it grow. 
Um, let, let it grow from there. And just keep them with you. So, uh, you know, keep them in your purse. Keep them in your car. Uh, keep them, you know, with, with your computer bag or, or, or whatever. Keep it with you and it's something that you can work through. Um, the second one uh, is praying through the Psalms. Um, this idea, uh, uh, Don Whitney uh, wrote a book on this. He was over at uh, Southern. And you can pick up that book. It's really helpful. The basic concept is this, is that you read a psalm, you find something you identify in that psalm, and you pray through it. So um, if you're reading through a psalm, and it's a psalm of lament, you know, uh, and you got David lamenting that all these armies are, are stacking up against him and trying to kill him, that's probably not your life. Probably not. I mean, some of you may have some armies coming after you. I don't know. Um, but most likely, that's not your life. But you can there are things in your life that you can lament, right? So he's lamenting what's going on in his life. And so what you would do with the psalm is that you would pray your own lament. What are the things that you're disappointed and in, in, that are hard uh, and you're struggling with at that time? He might be pray. the psalmist might be um, rejoicing in worship. And so you would, you would do the same. You mirror what's happening in that psalm. And he's got a neat little system that you do. So you take the day of the week. So this is the third. So you would take Psalm 3, and then you add 30 to it until you get five psalms. So it would be the third, 33, Psalm 63, Psalm 93, and Psalm 123. I'm sorry you didn't expect math here this morning. Um, You can read his book on how he does this. But essentially, you have five psalms, so you can read through all five of them and see which one resonates with you that morning, and then pray through it. It's a, it's a really cool technique. It also gets you reading the Psalms, which is awesome as well, right? So, uh, so maybe cards would work for you, maybe Psalms. Um, and then the other is, the, is breath prayers, which um, we've got this little handy-dandy uh, handout for you this morning. Um, and in breath prayers, is, it's a type of contemplative prayer where um, you're really trying to just quiet your mind and, and spend time in, in silence and solitude with God and then using short prayers to, to keep you in that space and focused uh, on God. And so um, you breathe in and then you breathe out, you breathe out the prayer. And, and so this might be something that you could do for five minutes. It could be something you could do for half an hour. And the idea is that most of the time in prayer, we, we tend to rattle off all the things we need and all the things that we're worried about and all the things that we're struggling with. And sometimes we just need to be quiet and be with God and let the Spirit do what the Spirit's going to do in our heart and impress upon us things that, that uh, maybe we wouldn't expect if we were just so focused on the things that we want, right? So breath prayers are a good, way, good ways of, of trying to quiet our own noise to allow the Spirit to do a work in us. And so um, this has some examples of breath prayers on it. I thought from, you know, from our lesson this morning, you know, there are, I, I put together a few breath prayers that you could pray that go along with our posture towards life and ourself and God. So the first one it would, would be to breathe in and pray out, Lord, prepare me for the challenges of today. So if I could start my morning with just a breath prayer and just sitting, you know, in my, wherever my nook is, maybe it's in my car, pulled off at a park, and just praying, Lord, prepare me for the challenges of today. Take a breath, pray it again. Lord, prepare me for the challenges of today. 
What I'm trying to do is align my heart with the heart of God so that I'm not trying to impose my will, but I'm, I'm trying to uh, align my heart with that of God. Second one there, Lord, meet me in my need, right? Posture towards self, a recognition that I'm in need. Lord, meet me in my need. Some people use the breath, breath prayer, um, Jesus, have mercy. And they just pray that, Jesus, have mercy. Over and over Five minutes, ten minutes. Jesus, source of life, have mercy. Right? So this is a technique that you can use when you just to quiet your heart, quiet your mind, um, quiet and listen. So the goal this morning as we go into 2020, 2021, I'm not going to do that one over again, is to have a posture towards prayer that, that invites you into communion with God that invites you into a relationship, a deeper relationship with God, which is what Paul prayed for us, that we would be blameless and fruitful coming from Jesus. And so prayer is a communion with God, and every week we celebrate that invitation to relationship by celebrating communion together. So not only does he invite us into a relationship with himself, but he invites us into a relationship with each other. And so we celebrate that this morning by taking communion just as Jesus reclined with, with sinners and tax collectors, he also reclined with his disciples at the Last Supper. It's pretty much the same picture, right? Needy sinners uh, in need of a Savior reclining together. That's the invitation that Jesus invites us into. And so when he was there, he broke the bread And he gave it to them and he said, remember, when you take this, remember that my body was broken for you. So if you're here this morning, we have a little cup for you there. You can pull off the top. There's a little wafer on top there. If you're at home, use what you have. Anything will work. So after they ate the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is a cup, is a reminder on my blood that was poured out for you. Jesus' blood that washes us and seals us in the new covenant. He said, remember this when you drink of it. See, Jesus sealed us into a covenant, a covenant where we, as his children, sons and daughters, not only are saved from death and destruction, but we're saved into relationship with him where we can communicate and talk and pray and develop that relationship. So that's my prayer for us this morning. Pray with me. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.